OTB GAA. You don't just have a speech the Wednesday before a game. You go out and you rile up your team and go out and play the match with fire and brimstone. Now you analyse teams to death. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us now you're welcome along so in all the years of rugby at Lansdowne Road there's never been an Irish Grand Slam just one of several pieces of history at stake on Saturday if you're mapping out your Saturday different kickoff times to usual Scotland Italy half past 12 that's an RTE France against Wales 2.45 that's on Virgin as is Ireland England 5 o'clock uh, very happy to say the dynamic duo are with us once again Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times here hello hello good evening and Andy Dunn hello how are you Joe often complaining we're in a Wednesday everybody's talked about the game at length what's there left to say you're in next Monday mm, promotion Oof. Uh, Monday Grand Slam, I'm presuming. <laughs> we hope anyway. It's a hell of a post-mortem post, uh, if it's not. Yeah, it's almost unthinkable now, isn't it? Yeah, it's so scripted. Yeah. So um, just having a glance at the media dealings, you're around the team a fair bit, Jerry. They do seem in pretty good form. Uh, there was Mac Hansen's, well, everybody hates England, uh, which people enjoyed. Tag Furlong, if you're not excited about playing this weekend, why are you even playing sport? And then... Johnny Sexton said, I'd never be able to live with myself if you don't turn up and play well. So that's the focus. I somehow think he will <laughs> turn up and play well. Gibson <clears throat> Park was talking about being very process driven and that's the best way uh, for him to get through weeks like this. They're a fairly experienced bunch. It's hard to imagine them getting carried away with all the ticket requests and the hype. Yeah, they've been. I think Johnny was saying this is their third final. He counts Scotland last year as a Triple Crown decider as a final. He counts the New Zealand series decider um, in Wellington as a decide as a final. And now this is obviously a final because they're going for a Grand Slam. So they're they're getting used to these kind of big game occasions, these kind of big weeks. And we know that nothing seems to distract them or throw them off kilter either during a game, before it, after it, any time. They just roll with the punches and carry on regardless whatever they just dig deep into the squad and they, they trust what they're doing I think that's what came through last Sunday as much as anything was just the belief just the belief they have in each other okay we've got a flanker taking our throw-ins we've got a prop at hooker for the first time fine let's deal with it I mean Farrell said they were laughing at the dressing room at one point smiling and he said let's go for it this is perfect for us so I can't imagine getting phased by the prize at stake it does seem almost too well scripted I'd safely say Johnny Sexton, when the fixtures were first released, looked at them and saw, oh, England last at home in Dublin. And certainly I've been flagging since before the start that the previous Grand Slams, we have to say, this won't be the first one at home that were, those words have been used. There was Belfast in 48, so let's be pretty politically correct about this. But all the successes in latter times, and it's been a golden period as we know, Grand Slam 09 Cardiff, um, Paris in 2014 for the title, Murrayfield in that epic Super Saturday, and then Twickenham for the Grand Slam. And I always felt very envious of Welsh teams particularly, because they seem to always get their Grand Slam coronations in Cardiff, in the Millennium Stroke Principality Stadium. And it's remarkable to think that in 128 years of competing in this tournament, and however much long it's been in Lansdowne Road, certainly since in the early 50s and well before that as well that never before have Ireland sealed a Grand Slam in Dublin in Lansdowne Road and even the last Six Nations title I was thinking about this coming in on the dart today is 1985 I think so like it's 28 years since Ireland have even won a title in Lansdowne Road you know the, the headquarters of Irish rugby so throw in Paddy's Day 
England coming to town, the way this team is playing. Johnny Sexton drawing level last week on 5-5-7 with Ronald Gara, not overtaking him, which means that touch wood if when that first kick is nailed it's going to be even extra momentous for the Irish people in the stadium and you would imagine that if we're ever going to make the, the, the Aviva a fever it's going to be for a Grand Slam decider against England on Paddy's weekend yeah couldn't set it up better than that no I just got a flashback um, when you mentioned the 85 was that the Michael Kiernan mm-hmm. drop, drop goal, goal and this absolutely wild raucous celebration in the north terrace mm-hmm. I think you know, three kicked it into and mm-hmm. yeah they were moments we grew up on and cherished so yeah it's it's um, it's kind of I think I can, you can already get a sense of how electric it could be so that brings into play managing emotion Johnny Sexton has been talking about that we'll have a listen once I start get, once I start getting dragged into that um, you know you start getting away from how you're going to make that happen uh, which is process performance uh, and, and making sure that you're you're nailed on um, so yeah I'm trying to get away from it as much as I can I knew the questions were going to come um, but yeah it, look I suppose I have got a, a bit more emotional the further I've gone on definitely so it'll be it'll be trying to hold that back but use it as well because it'll be a special hopefully it'll be a special day Yeah Johnny is it important maybe to use it embrace it as well Yeah of course uh, like we said from the start like this is where we wanted to be um, there's no point in you know, get going in on ourselves now like we, we what's got us to this point has been you know good performances Probably not where we want it to, to be across you know all the games, but um, we're hoping that we can get our best performance out there of the of the campaign. That's what we, we certainly are trying to do. A lot of players, it's their first chance at a Grand Slam. There'll be probably naturally nerves there. Is it something that you talk about as a group or as a captain that you address them on? Um, yeah, we talk we talk a lot uh, you know together as a group um, with with Faz and the coaches about. How, what mentality we need to have going into the game? You know, we, we do understand the challenge that's coming. Um, like England are a very very good team. You know, last week they they will admit they didn't show that. Um, but we know that you know the team that's picked for us. We're kind of expecting some more experienced guys to come back and, and really shore them up. So it's going to be a really tough game, like it always is against England. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll say they've got nothing to lose, and, and that, that, that's a dangerous opponent. So we need to make sure that we turn up and play play really well. Yeah, it hadn't been our luckiest week. Willie Mullins popping in there, <laughs> and just one last clip of Johnny Sexton. Then, as Jerry mentioned, he is level with Ron Nogara, Six Nations all-time point scorer. So uh, first points on Saturday will uh, push him into pole spot uh, solo so he was asked about that and uh, he was saying he hasn't been in contact with O'Gara this week we were talking last week um, after I got asked about it here um, well I haven't spoke to him this week I've had the the phone off uh, people looking for tickets so uh, (laughs) he hasn't asked me for tickets yet Uh, but uh, no uh, look we talk not regularly but we talk from time to time and often it's about everything except rugby Um, but look, it's uh, it's funny how we're both level at now. You know what I mean. I I hope I get out there on on Saturday and score so we can win. It's not to to beat the record, uh, but it's uh, it's it's obviously very special to be up there with him. Um, someone that I admired for so many years. And you look at other guys in the list, and it's you know 
I'm not sure it'll last very long if I do get it because I think Owen Farrell will, will go and smash it. Um, but look, take it if it comes. We were talking last so that's uh, Sexton. Not bad for the guy whose international career, Andy, started at 24. Was it? Okay, I thought he was. I thought he was 21. I thought he was much younger. Yeah, phenomenal. Um, he, he's definitely uh, a more serene uh, character, I think now, and that happens with everybody with time. Um, I think there's been various observations. I think Raj himself spoke about that kind of petulant reaction to being substituted a couple of years ago in one of his earlier games as captain and how you just can't do that as captain and like I that's the type of thing he's gotten rid of with maturity too but he hasn't gotten rid of that spiky determination and he hasn't gotten rid of that incredible drive yeah, and, like, uh, it helps things have been going so well for him I'd say now if he was substituted and didn't like it he, there might be a shake of the head in there uh, potentially possibly, again. But possibly. I, t- <laughs> I take the point yeah. but even his dealings with referees you know remember the big debate when Andy Farrell first made him captain I yeah. mean a lot of people questioned this said it wasn't wise and his relationship with referees is going to hurt Ireland and cost Ireland and he's got he's built very good relationships with referees he's got more and more experience as a referee and he's d- developed good relationships with them to the point where he seems to get away with more than say Hamish Watson on the other side is so you know Luke Pierce turns to him and says if one of your players asks for a yellow card there's a chance he'll get a yellow card and <laughs> Johnny says okay I'm going to ask for the yellow card though <laughs> and it's a good line and Pierce kind of accepts it whereas Watson's you know getting hit for 10 metres whatever way he's not massaging the referee relationship. Yeah, at one, they got marched back twice, didn't yeah. they? 10 or even 15 metres. Yeah. So aggravated was Luke Pierce so, by their... So, and so, once was Jamie Ritchie as captain with what sounded like a fairly legitimate request, all right? Yes, Ritchie was. Sorry, excuse me. But like Sexton is, you know, I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I tweeted even, may nobody look at you the way Johnny Sexton looks at a referee because he gives them plenty, but they seem to take it from him. But the referees, as impartial and as tight as they can be on rules and regulations are human beings and they have always responded differently to really dominant characters they treated Richie McCall differently they treated Paul O'Connell differently you know they treated Martin Johnson differently and they treat Sexton differently and there's a little more they they won't admit it there's a they're a little more reverential around them they're probably a little more tentative um, than perhaps a new kid on the block for want of a better word in Watson who's not an established captain for 30, 40 tests and maybe doesn't have that foreboding gravitas that the form, those names I've mentioned have and I, I really do think I've seen that over the years in games I've played with, played against Delalio so many times and the referee treating them differently and talking to him differently and yeah. it, it's just par for the course people treated Michael referees in basketball treated Jordan differently you know it happens I think it's it's got to be accepted and it's, uh, funny you say that because uh, w- watching the Italy game and James Ryan was unhappy with the decision and was very polite about it and not overly loud about it and I, I was watching the game with very experienced international uh, player who said he needs to actually Ball the referee out of it a bit more. Mm. Make sure it's heard on microphone. Make sure the referee knows the world has heard it. Mm. That's almost the next stage, and and Sexton well able to do that. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was one of the reasons why I completely flipped by kickoff and thought France were definitely going to beat England because Ellis Genge was captain England for the very first time, and that's one of the reasons why I presume Owen Farrell will definitely be named tomorrow as both captain and starting out half because he has that same kind of gravitas and presence with referees as well that experience you know two or three time Lion 
tourist up. All the stats he's accumulated. And um, it's actually so true what Andy says. Some players just, you know, referees are human and some players command a bit more respect than others. In actual fact, last weekend and last Sunday, it was got to be quite irritating that Scotland twice averted yellow cards for clear professional fouls within five metres of their own line and didn't I was surprised Johnny didn't go after Luke Pearce a bit more I think he did ask the question yeah. the try was scored by James Lowe but like Hogg had blatantly been offside around the fringe and James Jamie Ritchie just blatantly held onto the ball off his feet Hogg having illegally um, slapped the ball from Conor Murray in the first half and they got away with it each time mm. So Andy uh, broad sweep on Sunday first half was brilliantly contested Scotland looked very threatening for lots of it Ireland had to deal with all manner of injuries and then the, the consequent crises on several fronts and then second half another level and the game was done with 15 to go Yeah it was um, you know it's a game that has had an imprint on my soul I would say without going <laughs> and like I, you're trying to think in that games I'll remember in 10-15 years time I'm not going to remember last year's game against Scotland they already can't remember it I'll never forget that game I will never forget it Can for I pause the, you for a second which other games have had imprints on your soul? Um England beaten us by about 40 points in the 2003 Grand Slam, Grand Slam. Um, that one sticks out Um the France game with the Sexton drop goal because we were awful in that match and we won it and people forget it and it, it changed the course of that entire campaign. Um, I remember my first game, Hugo Porta was out half for Argentina in 1990 um, and, and if I can link that, that was an Irish team and an Irish an era for Irish rugby where we, weren't, we were bang average regularly we used to play for 40 to 60 minutes and then blow a gasket but one of the things that we used to do well was this you know I suppose destructive type play getting people's faces they'll knock on and we do a hack on and I had friends my brothers people go to the match we talk about Jesus all we've got is this hack on to me one of the moments that changed the match on Sunday against Scotland was Sexton and O'Mahony like two rabid dogs going after a loose ball and hacking it down the field and it just galvanised the team it galvanised people watching it on TV it changed the tone and the tempo of the match and it wasn't about our subtlety in attack and it wasn't about our triangles and our decoy runners or the injuries it was about two absolute stalwarts who at a crucial moment when things were on the rocks they just went after the broken ball like no one else feverish and the line speed hadn't been great for about no. 10 minutes up until that moment yeah. somebody else and I can't remember who I should have double checked it applies the line speed as well then Peter gets his foot to the ball and then John kicks on and Ireland I was watching the game You were they're good seats in Murrayfield the press box they're relatively low down but they're high enough to get a good view and there was a little bit of soakage the, the line speed mm. they're just and that was just playing into Russell's hands mm. and they were getting their runners and Davies was hitting the lines and you're right that was a bit of a momentum shift as were the two brilliant Hugo Keenan tackles and mm. Van der Merver mm. this boy is just he just comes up with so many big plays I mean when he juggled the ball at the start he put he's not going to drop it is he he doesn't drop the ball it's yeah. just remarkable mm. what he does as well mm. so and the the James Lowe hit as well the follow up hit to um, George Turner to knock him over the touchline you see the Irish players running off the ball you see Finn Russell throwing the ball down the Scots are walking off I thought it was a big moment in the match and just showed the that the 
the ebb and flow of psychic energy, as Murray Mexter used to call it, had just gone a little bit with Ireland. They were very important plays. And if you see Andy Farrell in the coaching box, he gets more enthusiastic about those big turnovers in the red zone than some of Ireland's tries. It's become a real signature of this Irish team that when they're backs the wall within five metres of their own line, they actually up their defensive game in a serious way. Yeah. But that's why they've missed tons of tackles. Way more than 20, last season. 20. And way more than last season, even after three games. Yeah. Yet they've only conceded five tries, one of which was an intercept, by some distance the best defensive record. That Omahani kick, by the way, and I, I totally agreed there are more intricate aspects to his game and certainly more intricate aspects to Johnny Sexton's game. But that ended Scotland being on top from the 10th minute to the 24th minute with a Hugh Jones try in between. They were mm-hmm. totally on top for mm-hmm. tw- those 14 minutes and three minutes later Hansen scores the try and it is just to boot up the pitch but there is still it's, something no, uh, which, a, which is a, a, a bit hard to kind of pin down on a statistic board that, yeah, that, yeah. that was wrapped up in a moment like that. It's a deeper attitude that those two lads carry with them and have carried with them in their career. I remember playing over in England um, physically feeling I was in an era where they they kept picking huge number eights for the club team so Tua Lange was playing eight for Leicester Shabal was playing for Sale and I couldn't stick with them in terms of physicality and my outside the centre beside me was an Irish man from Longford called Mel Dean so there's a lad from Blanchardstown playing 10 for the aristocrats of London and Harlequins a lad from Longford playing 12 and Will Green with 13 well Mel had a boxing background upbringing and he used to say you never never give in you just stick on them like a piece of chewing gum if they're dragging your jersey and if you're twisted and turned you just still go after them get your fangs out and it was a brilliant piece of advice from Mel because it kind of inspired me to fight more yeah. and I got that vision when I just like oh man he was being dragged by the collar Sexton was being held back they just they just went after it like no one else I believe on the field would have gone after it because they saw a tiny chink after 15 to 20 minutes they just went they went after it and it was and they knew Ireland needed lifting as well absolutely and what better way to lift it than that old school old fashioned disruptive destructive hoof it hoof it like we can get carried away on intricacies all day long with this team but if that team there are teams that go that direction and lose that hunger and we we haven't and but those two that moment there was, was so key and then I think just later on Sexton nailing the two touchline conversions were just daggers into Scotland because they mattered they put us they put us outside that that scoring range the first one made it a two score lead and then the booze got loud of the second one from the right hand side you don't normally see him celebrating he knew he He was like you're dead (laughs) it was also like have rid of that Rog yeah (laughs) no it was (laughs) I know (laughs) nothing to do with this I know I know I know Uh, what was your sense of the second half and, and, and the reasons Ireland uh, well, the big tone. moment for me, as and I agree with you about what that, the moment that Johnny nailed that first conversion mm-hmm. on the left side, the press box on that side of the pitch, so you just have a perfect view of it. A bit like Reese Nelson's winner for Arsenal a couple of weeks back, where I also had the perfect view of it. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, but be- preceding that, Keane Healy's gone into uh, hooker scrum, and the two Glasgow sub props come on. And my colleague John O'Sullivan said to my right here, "This won't be a problem for us if Luke Pearce lets Ireland scrum here; they'll do damage here." And oh, and right enough, first scrum penalty, up the line, and I'm already feeling better about life at that stage. And then Van de Fleer connects, and then they go through, and then they score the try. And you went, ah, yeah, it's all good. And then Johnny's conversion. So that that scrum when Keane Healy, the, the two Glasgow props came on, and Arden win a scrum penalty 
followed by Josh van der Fleer hitting his man to front although why the Scots didn't just throw a pot to the front of the line out all day long the second half I don't know like it must be well and all as Ireland did come through and it was almost an heroic win and of its type Andy Farrell said it was the best he'd ever known which tells you everything about the character and the belief in the team. Scotland's review must have been painful because when are they going to get Ireland on the ropes like that again with a flanker taking the throwing in and a proper hooker in a one-point game at home with their first triple crown in 23 years to play for? It must have been an uncomfortable review for them. Yeah, we took that apart on... Monday, Gorgeous. Darcy yeah. just so critical of, uh, like, I don't know, a, rack, a lack Sorry, of... Sorry, I didn't hear it. No, no, you're yeah. fine. A rugby IQ, intellect, sense of what to do in those moments. And I was saying, well, you know, coaching box should have sent down certain messages. And he was saying, no, if, 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 you're, if you're at that stage of the team, you're dead. You need to be able to recognise on the field what's mm. going on. I, a good friend of mine uh, described the Scottish approach and it stuck with me all week is that they're kind of the gunslinger approach they're mm-hmm. gunslingers when, it, when they're hot they're super hot but then when it's not, not going their way as it as it started to ebb away from them there wasn't this capacity to change it was like it's not working for us and it, it almost gets a, a little petulant and they're going to keep Some trying the this, well. keep trying yeah. the same things I mean I love Russell as a player the stats are not lying. You know, he's the fastest pass. He's the, the, longest, the longest pass. He's most ho- he's he's, yeah. most, he's all of these things. Most carries. But when it comes down to it, has he got that capacity to just be an ice cold game manager? And you know, and it's not all just down to him. No, it's a group uh, mentality like, thing. Like he's as not well. responsible for the lineout issue, as Jerry no. mentioned. He, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I always remember Owen Redden playing. How Owen Redden played, he took responsibility for the line out if it didn't work out because he was like, I'm driving the team with Raj and with, I think, with Sexy. You know, halfbacks are your on field generals. They're, they're, you're given that role. And sometimes if the line out's not working, you need to understand the line out calls and get into the pack leader and get into the captain if it's not, if you're not a captain as a halfback. And so we need to change tack at line out time. We need to uh, channel one ball in the scrum if we're under pressure. We need to do these things that change what's happening. And my, my sense of that reactive play yeah. with Russell, to quote my pal Kev, yeah. O'Malley is their gunslinger. He's a gunslinger. I, I'm going to defend Russell there, though, on, on that one, because if every single Scottish player had uh, akin to the Irish team, done some breathing, and just taken a, a moment and thought to themselves, this is interesting, in that their flanker is throwing at line out. Mm. What should we do? He seems, you know, he overthrew the first one. He seems to be going uh, short predominantly since. It's well, not as if the Johnny and Richie Gray don't have experience. So, or so, James Richie so as well. So explain to me how that. I think they miss Grant Gilchrist. He calls their lineouts. Mm. But again, this is. And not he, they miss his edge. Science. But no, I agree. You know. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it's. I, like I said, that that alone, that tactical mishap, like not to have spotted that and done more and throw a pot up at the front every single Van der Fleer throw in. Will has to look like a bad misstep by the Scots in their review. Yeah, like I know tens run the team, Andy, but come on. No, I get, I get it. I, I no, absolutely. There has to be a shared responsibility, and I think as a as a group, that Scotland team, as damaging and painful as that it is for them last Sunday, um, teams that improve, survive these moments, lear, do learn. Mm. It's just the kind of white heat of battle. There's fatigue. There's they're just overly aroused. There's a lot going on mentally. There's just it's so difficult to think clearly like that. And I, I remember hearing Jim Gavin, the Dubs coach, talking about all this this clarity under pressure, but saying 
the, your battle plan doesn't survive first contact with the enemy and you've got to have people on the field who appreciate that that sometimes everything goes out the window and in the case of the Scots everything fell apart for Ireland which changed what we did and they didn't react and we, we reacted obviously we reacted not amazingly used, well but they're, they, they're not used to winning things they're no, not win, no. used to winning trophies mm. like you compare Finn Russell's career to Johnny Sexton's career he's won one Pro 12 title and he was outstanding for Glasgow mm. Mm. won that semi-final almost on his own against Ulster yeah. played superbly in the final and Hogg was part of that team and a few others were as well and Hogg has since won a Champions Cup but Russell has won nothing else in his career you compare that with Johnny, he's won six Pro 12s, he's won four Heineken Cups, he's won three Six Nations titles, yeah. including the Grand Slam. Like, you might want, as I remember writing a piece last week, you might pay money, might be more inclined to watch Finn Russell purely for entertainment's sake. Yeah. But there's absolutely no doubt which you'd rather have in your team. Yeah. On uh, Mondays Off the Ball, I read a, a long uh, segment from a Bernard Jackman article to explain the intricacies of what Keane Healy had done, the break foot and the balancing act and all the, 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 the details which he had to master and Keane Healy spoke to the media and said uh, good prop on that side of me good prop the other side just have a push <laughs> and maybe that's the kind of character that you need to go in there yeah he, he um, you know, I, I, it was interesting I think they gave him about five minutes from, from and they gave him an additional five minutes into the second half Keller was running around with that l- limp mm-hmm. left arm and it was John Fogarty and Paul O'Connell and, uh, getting last minute something into him like instructions but I, there's a, there's always that hint of the last minute there, there, there's no time for um, irrelevant information they literally would have had to pick one point two points max John Fogarty as a ex a brilliant technical hooker would have been chatting to Keane Keane played his my first time I ever saw Keane Healy play was the schools cup final in 2005 he was the hooker a non-throwing hooker and too, non, yeah, da- David Gilchrist was a, I coached David Gilchrist in Old Belvedere later who, who played number 8 but he wasn't the thrower thrower in hooker he was the Dan Sheehan type hooker back then he was all over the field he was electric and that was a Belvedere school team that had went on to five internationals or something Keen, Ian Keatley uh, Owen O'Malley and people like that but uh, he had prior history as a hooker that you know, and there's, I think definitely there's, a, there's an element, okay, you're going into an international, he hasn't done it in 13, 15, 14 years, but he's had an upbringing with it. So it wasn't entirely foreign to him. But it's interesting that I'd love to know what O'Connell and Fogarty just said to him. And was it, they strike me as a management team, just incredibly calm when they need to be like that. Yeah. There's no frantic panic yeah. going on. And I suspect they gave him one or two lines, much like what Healy ends up saying in that interview is, you know, keep it simple. Don't well, imagine it mightn't have been as quiet under other head coaches or as calm. And the extraordinary thing is that Keane Healy was picked to play in the first game, but it was a late withdrawal. Kilcoyne came in, won his 50th cap against France, retained for the Italy game. And last week, they reinstated Keane Healy on the bench ahead of Kilcoyne. And none of us even thought to ask Andy Farrell at the team announcement, live section or embargo section, why he did this. It's almost as if they saw what was coming down the line. I don't know if Dave Coyne could have gone in at Hooker. They might have had to go to uncontested scrums. 
and also fair play to them they could have gone to uncontested scrums and not gone down a man but they chose no we're going to go we're going to keep the tempo high we're going to go for contested scrums we're going to see if we can deal with this as well I mean Farrell almost seems to have a masochistic kind of win it all (laughs) on it's like they chose the harder option they'll start a game with 13 players one day just see how it goes won't be this Saturday obviously but you know what I mean and then and with that Keane Healy is now Surely he must be the only Irish front row ever to play test rugby at loose head, hooker and tight head. Yeah. And in as a result of that, he has virtually nailed on his place in the World Cup because that's a handy thing to have. Mm. So he's off to his fourth World Cup game. You're the second person to mention masochism on the show this week <laughs> in relation to Andy Farrell. Yeah. I was, uh, do you remember the, the David, what I, I did on the news round on Monday, do you remember that David McSavage skit of Joe Duffy where he would have yeah. <laughs> nipple pegs on yeah. and the more unfortunate the call the more into it uh, Joe became yeah. I mean I think there's, there's an, an Andy Farrell version coming there, surely I think so I think so oh it's good are you telling me the other hookers beautiful beautiful <laughs> beautiful and I, Doris I, great. You know, I don't think it's <laughs> in any way staged it's, it's not um, a front he absolutely loves torture he loves this whole adversity thing and it's you know I've heard coaches give that lip service and then something happens 15 minutes before kickoff and they're running around frantic in the changing rooms that's where you see what they're like and they don't want the backup guy yeah. coming on and you see mayhem in a changing room you see plans being ripped out pages being torn shouting screaming late he he seems to be very very like I I interviewed my cat uh, the week before the Scotland game at a corporate thing and for a fellow who's won a World Cup you have Paul O'Connell as a Lions captain you have Simon Easter about 70 caps Easterby you had Fogarty captain provinces 10 caps for Ireland and all the other people involved in that coaching group and Mike Cass said absolutely genuinely and without exaggeration he goes we'd, we'd be lost without him he, goes, he just said we'd be lost without him that was how he described Farrell he goes he just knits it all together he knows exactly what to say he knows how to keep us all in check he knows how to keep us all motivated like the soft skills, the life experience, the intangibles in being a CEO that he brings to that group is it's just phenomenal. But he's been he's been playing rugby or coaching rugby since he was seventeen, whatever, he's been a captain, natural born leader and all the rest of it. And he told us a very good story last Friday after the team announcement. It was actually for the Sunday newspaper section. I don't know whether you saw it or not, but he actually recalled going to Leeds with Wigan and getting stuck on the motorway in the bus and they eventually didn't arrive. They got changed on the bus, did their warm-up routine, stretches, etc. on the bus, ran out on the pitch 10 minutes before kick-off, finished their warm-up, kicked off and gave a very good Leeds Rhinos team a good beating. <laughs> Which, so I, But the other thing that makes me wonder is, and I'm, I probably shouldn't be saying this aloud because it's something I would like to ask him, whether over a pint I've ever bumped into him or better still in an interview, if I ever get an interview with him, is in all the four years he was number two to Joe, was he never inclined to go up to Joe and say, look, we need to chill out a bit sometimes about these things. We cannot control everything. You know, Joe is a control freak, loved control, but there are certain uncontrollables, like a bus being late, like a flanker having to take the throw-ins, like a prop having to go into hooker. And it just seems to be that not only does he take in a stride, he almost welcomes it. He even remember that time he said after Cardiff came, he was actually hoping the bus would arrive late as well. What do you think the answer to your question is? It's a good, I don't know. It's I a good was, question if I do say so. <laughs> no, it is a good question. I'd love it to is know. A good question. I guess I guess I, I guess I 
Well, okay, you guess first. I've got a guess on it. Well, my guess is that he's he's actually designed, he's built a game that is versatile and flexible mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Had those had those events happened with, and again, I've, you know, let's, Schmidt had a hugely successful run with Ireland. We won a lot. So Ireland's most successful coach. Absolutely. And it, it, re- it kind of reached its expiry date and teams knew what we were doing and that was the mm-hmm. start of the decline. But... Had those things gone wrong, and you've got a team that is built to run four, five, six phase sequences, everyone needs to know their role intimately and intricately. When that all falls apart in a situation like Sunday, the entire game falls apart. Farrell has built a game that every time someone touches the ball and they're one kind of corner of that triangle, there's three options. And when the whoever receives it next has another triangle there's three options there's six options to almost every single mm-hmm. attacking play so there's there's what do you do they say throw it to the front of the line out with our flanker just win the bloody thing yep. and after that we'll set up because we've six options every time we get the ball or as Gibson Park did we throw up a box kick 40 metres out now if that had been Conor Murray we'd go oh no typical Conor Murray but it was a brilliant box kick but I and think Mac Hansen brilliantly reclaimed uh, it yeah. so they're, they're very unpredictable team what, what do you think Farrell what do you think Farrell would say I think, I think Farrell would probably say he might have tried once or twice and realised Joe was Joe and Joe was going to do it his way and he's a head coach so it should be his way and when I come in I'm just going to do it slightly differently I think he'd also add things were going pretty well Yes, mm. true I mean, true. It was, was I going to jump in and say Joe, actually this is all going terribly well uh, mm. maybe we should change things up and by the time 2019 was beginning to spiral Yes I don't think a few beers on the Tuesday mm. was the answer Mm. And when you're in a, when you're in a sporting environment that's spiraling, you've got this stick or switch moment. You you, you have to stick with what you've been doing for yeah. a while and say, hold on, we're having a bad run, but we've had success for five years. When you're outside the environment and you're hurled around the ditch like myself mm. and mm. everyone else, you can maybe say that has to change. But yeah. we don't know what's gone on and the work that's gone into creating the success and the the levels of detail. So it's very hard to just make an it about is. turn. We got to take a short break. Jerry Nandy staying with us. Rugby and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Back in one moment. Wednesday night rugby on off the ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. You're welcome back. Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times with us. Andy Dunn with us as well, both in studio. So let's begin to look ahead to Ireland, England, five o'clock on Saturday. Uh, by way of doing that terribly cruel question. Uh, give me your three Irish candidates for player of the tournament thus far. Zero preparation time for this question. Hugo Keenan. Yeah. Caelan Doris. Yeah. And... Mac Hansen. I, I'd maybe pick Mac Hansen just on how exceptional that one performance was Last in Scotland. Week. It was just outrageous. So and Here we go taking Johnny Sexton for granted again. Maybe yes, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gordon Darcy, Rory O'Connor felt James Ryan could be player of the tournament. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Well, well you did put us on the spot now. No prep. No, your, his numbers have been ridiculous. Yeah. It's great He's, to see him back to form because he did have a lull there. He did. By his own admission, the concussion cases worried him. Yeah. And he was playing within himself and it was a bit of a fear factor, as you can well understand. Mm. And since around the midway through the New Zealand tour... He's just absolutely back to his best. We now take it for granted that he pinches a line-out nearly every game. His line-out work has clearly evolved with under the influence of Paul O'Connell and the two of them. Must, it's just the perfect fit to have Paul O'Connell. So but most of all, it's his carrying game. Yeah, and he looks stronger and better. Yeah. So which of Keenan, Mac Hansen or Doris are you kicking out? I'd kick out Mac Hansen. Mac Hansen. 
because he's had good games but one exceptional game but he probably hasn't been at that level that the other three have been at every week it's three man of the matches and eight not doing it for you no (laughs) no (laughs) Um, Irish injury situation Mm -hmm. I'm now reading that uh, Doris may make it Mm -hmm. and our two hookers may make it any updates Um, yeah I heard Doris is trained and he looks like he's good to go I've heard Sheen is trained looks like good to go I haven't heard that Callagher is trained good to go um, so that'll be Sheehan and Herring on the bench. I think the worrying thing with Keller is his shoulder injury history. Yes. He's had, he's had a number of surgeries there and hopefully it's mm. not something a bit more, you know, longer term, um, particularly in a World Cup year. But again, hard as that would be on him, if it's a big one, we do have depth, um, you know. So I mean, it's great that Caelan Doris and Dan Sheen, because they're probably Ireland's two most dynamic f- forwards. Great carriers, they'll give great impetus to the carrying game. But how well did Jack Conan play when he came on? When Ireland really needed a big game from him because we just lost Caelan Doris so early in the game and mm. Dan Sheen and Jack was superb. Not just in the way he took his try, but in the way he carried just his all-round impact in the game. It was it was good. It's best we've seen him play in a while, I would say. Because this time last year, Jack started against England in Lansdowne had an absolute belter of a game. Mm. Scored a try, caught the line-out that set up the try for Keith Earls, that flick that they was famously caught on camera prior to the game. They ran through this routine pre-game and it was caught in the and we've spoken about this before the the main thing that's happened to Jack Cohn is in two words Caelan Doris he's still not far off a Lions test starter than he was only two years ago I think it says a lot for him though that you know disappointing you know when you've done nothing wrong and you get overtaken that's particularly hard to take Um, and then just go out hit the ground run like he did showed a lot of strength the word from England is that Oli Chesham ankle injury out, Oli Lawrence still out. Uh, Manitou Lagi set to start, say, the London Times. Farrell will start at 10, Marcus Smith will go to the bench. So it will be Farrell, Tulagi, and Slade. That combination haven't played together since the 2019 World Cup quarter final when they beat Australia 40 points to six. Slade must have been injured for the semi-final then, was he? Because I vividly remember Farrell and Tulagi playing in that semi-final against the All Blacks. I can't remember top head. No, me neither. Go on. I just, I read that yeah. in the same yeah. article, so yeah. I presume they double yeah. check. So Farrell, Tulagi and Slade, it's back to the future. There'll be a degree of chemistry and familiarity. Tulagi has played Ireland six times. He has never lost to Ireland in some, you know, he, 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 he brings a bogey certain, man. certain qualities that are difficult to stop at the mm. best of times. So that's what they're going for. Uh, what it does to Marcus Smith and his confidence, who knows? In some ways, I was trying to think like what questions to ask you guys, and it's hard to get specific because England have just been so abysmal, frankly. They've shown so little in attack. Their defence is clearly something that Ireland will fancy their chances getting at. So, you know, beyond Ireland in very good place, England in dreadful place, I don't know specifically with this game, what are we, what are we picking out here? England are going to play reductive physical style and try and rattle Ireland that's that's about the height of what they can offer I yeah, think yeah put the ball in the air plenty launch to a laggy plenty um, none, none of that would you know without getting overly confident I suppose and the, and the players won't which is the key thing as opposed to us none of that would worry you from an Irish perspective no but like when a team loses fi- or by a record heaviest ever Twickenham defeat by 53-10 they're clearly hurting and they're clearly stopped thinking beyond this week because now very often a team can suffer a heavy defeat and they might not get a game the next week. And some teams it might actually be the best team, best thing for a team to have a game the next week because now they're playing for pride. Nothing else, just pride. Their own pride. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with anything else outside the dressing room. They are just playing for pride and they're picking players for a one-off game like Farrell, like Tulagi, one-off Warriors who will 
and it's not surprising. It's exactly what you would expect they would do. That tells me that they're coming here with just serious physical intent and really looking to restore some pride in themselves, which could make mean they're going to trouble Ireland at times in this game and make them more dangerous than if they were still kind of experimenting with some idea if they're going to go. But the problem is they just seem to keep flipping. That's the thing. I, I don't. I don't understand the the rationale on what they're doing. They're certainly not working steadily. Uh, you and I have disagreed about this. I think. Farrell is a much more proven test match mm. out half than Marcus Smith is. In actual fact, Andy, I went over the stats for the last two seasons, the Premiership, these Opta stats, they're incredible. Like, Farrell is way ahead of Smith in terms of offloads, in terms of line break assists, in terms of drawing two men and putting a player into space. I remember Warren Gatlin, Warren Gatlin once telling me he's one of the best players he's ever coached in terms of seeing space. He's not the athlete that Marcus Smith is. He's certainly not as quick as Marcus Smith is, but he's also a better defender. Mm. I'd still think they're doing the right thing here for this one-off game. Um, for, if I was for, them, I'd do that too. Yeah, I think for a one-off game, I can certainly see the logic, yeah. It, the, the danger for them, I think, is it getting to a point of... Remember when things were going wrong for Harry Redknapp team? He'd always bring back in the same, you know, Crouch, Jermaine Defoe, and Nico Cranshaw. And it's like we're going to go again, and it's like we're going to get the band back together and go again. And at some point, that reaches reaches a sell by date, and that combination became a busted flush, you know. And um, how many times have England gone away from that, and then in a crisis gone back to it? The two Ilangi thing. At some point, you know, yeah, what is it, six wins, he said, Joe, against us and no losses. At some point, his physicality is going to impact us, but also, because that's what he brings, but also that defensive combination is unfamiliar all of a sudden. And we're playing against, they're playing against an Irish attack that has all that decoy and versatility and guile and I think we could catch in particular I think we could catch Tulangi cold not on physicality but on spacing and on defensive reads and I would if I was the my cat attacking coaching axis I'd be going after Tulangi I wouldn't be sitting waiting to see what he does I would just get him studs in the deck say fine be as physical as you want but you're going to be bamboozled in terms of your spacing and your reads and I think that's where we can disarm him if you disarm him centrally you you immediately kind of deactivate that trio being brought back together again for 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 the Farrell argument I I suppose England and and the omission of Smith it's kind of yo-yo in yo-yo out they they have an identity crisis in terms of what they're trying to do anyway and it's just it's an unfortunate time for Smith I thought with the arrival of um, Evans into the coaching setup that there'd be a bit of consistency through from the Harlequins attack which has been so brilliant but they're not playing anything like it and he's not playing anything like he does for that Harlequins team so yeah it's um, but I do I, overall I think it's going to be closer because you could probably subtract 20 odd 25 points from the France score based on uncharacteristic unforced errors from talented international rugby players in within that English group you know so some of it was just a horrific day for them they battened down the hatches picked the old school groups get 
get the band back together and they're going to be difficult yeah you've been in, I'm sure you've been in teams where games have just gone away from you early on yeah I, I, I played for Connacht for two years <laughs> I, oh, sorry yeah, at, well, at a time when Connacht were, Connacht were absolutely I played two weeks in a row once where we went 5-0 up both times and we lost 58-5 and 75-5 yeah. in two weeks and they're they're burnt into my brain those games when two good you now reasonably good squad and John Fogarty played in those games just car crash stuff and when it goes it goes and I think that's where England um, yeah just what's just going to hurt them the most about last Saturday mm. is the way that they were just physically bullied mm. like the way that France won so many collisions that the way England fell off so many tackles that mm. some of the tries are just going to be such horrific viewing in the video review um and like France, something like 74% of their rock ball was in under three seconds, mm-hmm. 45% in under two seconds. They, like Antoine Dupont couldn't, he just, I mean, it was an extraordinary performance. But like even Gregory Aldridge, having not played for three rounds, is when your front five is mangling the opposition front five and you're going forward at a rate of knots off the scrum, he looked brilliant again. And the bounce the ball went with them and they became very inspired like French teams mm-hmm. do. They might well not play as well against Wales now this weekend because they reached such a high last weekend Mm. and I do think that England will have a huge emphasis on just their physicality and their defence I just don't believe for a moment that it's going to last them for 80 minutes against this Irish team that are more skillful will try and keep the ball in play for 40 plus 45 minutes thereabouts and run the legs off them and ultimately pull clear because also Ireland at the moment and it's backed up by URC results and it's backed up by Ireland Cup results are, are have better players and better teams at the moment than the English do um, so they can bring they can bring all the fire and fury they want and they will and they'll trouble Ireland at times but Ireland will just have too much for them too much tempo too many multi-phase attacks too much versatility in, in attack for them variety in attack for them and they ultimately will struggle to live with that won't they? I would, yeah I hope so you would have thought so Yeah, it's hard not to see how this won't pan out any other way mm. almost too much so I mean that's the biggest concern with this game is that it all looks too good for Ireland too good mm. to be true you almost feel it did in 2018 in Twickenham as well do you remember and it was fine it was fine yeah. it was done at half time more or less mm. yeah Henshaw I presume and Aki will look at Tuolagi and say well you'll be a handful but you're not going to physically dominate us no yeah I was thinking of Bundy Aki as you were talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you're thinking about Bundy there but you'd almost have to say let's just be careful now no high shots no red cards mm. don't get into a personal war yeah mm. yeah yeah but that's exactly the type of thing um I know prior to the tournament itself and Aki hadn't played many games for Connacht I know I uh, my concerns were twofold one was lack of uh, match fitness uh, he's confounded that but he still has an occasional loose shot in him and my concern is that in you know competition cup final type rugby that can be the one time shift that causes things to change and so yeah I would have thought uh, that can apply to Tulagi as well yeah for sure you know and you're right Joe because every single that's the beauty of sport it's not like going to the theatre or going to the movies or reading a book the ending is not preordained for you every single Mm. sports fixture takes on its own life form it's completely ad-libbed now you can say a lot of matches are won beforehand because one team is better than the other and the preparation is better but We'll have a very good idea after 15, 20 minutes because if, if you've got a team with a lot of belief playing at home against a team who've just been punched in the stomach like England were last week, if Ireland score once or twice early on... They'll crack. They'll fall. Well, they've got, they, they're getting together behind the post thinking, yeah. where are we? But 
if they get an early score, you look at Wales over in Rome, wickedly lucky bounce for them for the Rio Dyer try from the Reese Webb kick, and suddenly they're seven points clear, and then Italy, who haven't won a lot of matches lately, it, it can have a fairly they, seismic they, effect on a match. They sent over a huge, physically dominant team in 2019 when we were world number one on the crest of a wave, and they, they changed the narrative for that Irish team and Joe, his, and Joe Schmidt almost overnight. So they're you know they have history. No, no nobody but, expected that. But, but still, even look at the, those teams. I mean, a, a, the back row against France. You compare that to Underhill, Curry, mm. Billy Vunapola. Mm. I mean, it, my defining the defining memory for me in some respects from the, the French game, and there are quite a few. But it's after each try, England in a circle under the post, and Owen Farrell giving the speech, and he's, he's basically with his finger saying, "That's it. No more tries conceded. Mm. That's just." stop the route mm. followed by X number of more tries and then again huddle after the match Owen Farrell right line in the sand. I just think all the hot air all the words you just they can't catch up on, on where Ireland are you know mm. and I, I, they'll be fired up for 5, 10, 15 minutes but I think they'll quickly realise these teams are playing different sport at the moment and it's already happened to England against teams who are further down the track with them like Gregor Townsend for all Scotland's flaws it's their sixth championship under him you know what I mean it's, they're coming up against a team for whom this is the fourth championship who the game is for, has been evolving for four years longer than England and yeah. England are coming in under a new coaching ticket coming up against a French team who are also in their fourth season under Fabien Galtier and all those coaches and their game is much more evolved and you're right that stuff counts for a lot yeah uh, look, sport, okay, you know, obviously something can happen, but it's just so hard to see it at the moment. Mm. Where does it leave Marcus Smith in his own head, do you feel? No competitive games until the World Cup now. Yeah, uh, yeah I certainly would leave him a little lost. Um, I doubt he knows what they want from him. I doubt he knows what, he's, what he needs. It's not like he's going to be given a... I would have thought a very clear appraisal and said we want X, Y and Z because it seems very apparent to me they don't know what they're trying to achieve themselves and unless they know that they can't give an accurate appraisal and feedback to yeah. the fellow who's meant to be running for them. For them. They're being reactive, they're being knee-jerk and as a young, talented out half he's, yeah, he's just, he's going to have to ride out the storm. It'll be, a, it'll be a real test of his mental fortitude. I think it'll be nice for him to go back into Harlequins for the next six weeks and feel like himself again but um, you know the other angle is what what impact this has on his World Cup chances with a fit again George Ford who maybe has a run in to the end of the season and they start to they maybe have a line in the sand moment and say look it's five months out from a World Cup he's not ready yeah. so we just go with Ford Farrell and, and Smith, Smith starts the first Six Nations game in 2024 and we move on you know it could be something like that uh, last very quick one before predictions on Farrell's kicking what's going on there at the moment oh yeah 7 out of 15 that's yeah. shoveling quite a few to the right yeah I uh, like him no it's very uncharacteristic yeah. nothing jumping out to you visually no I, well he, he when a lot of kickers from a technical point of view bend forward from the hip head over the ball and chest over the ball you've a chance where you can kick it to the right you can hit it to that right because your your hip swing is coming through and you just don't have the room and the, in your body in your a lot of the the kickers who are 
very I suppose easy on the eye to watch open out their chests and allow their legs swing through in a kind of a C shape to go away from the ball after they've kicked it Diego Dominguez always he was a genius at that it was such an aesthetically pleasing place kick kickers who who are more robotic lean over the ball head over chest over that's the tail when it starts going wrong it's, it's scooting out to the right because they're too cramped in their body I've seen a little bit of that but then I would imagine there's just a little bit of a yips a bit of confidence mm. as yeah. well without mm. getting overly technical playing in a team that's underperforming with yeah. his mind clouded and I think there's just a little bit of the yips going on from I, I would expect him to be nailing most of his kicks this week for okay. example Gibson Park start Yes, definitely. For the reasons that I, I would I would have thought so, because a his impact was sensational when he mm. came on, yeah, um, and also because it would surely be part of the Irish game plan. Hopefully, the weather stays fine. I don't think there's been a drop of rain in the Six Nations yet. You'd like it to stay that way. It's, it's due to rain. Fifty percent chance showers. Well, all sorts of horrendous weather was meant to be visited upon us in Edinburgh between three and five last Sunday, That's according true. to Andy Farrell's and own is it, specialist sorry, weather forecaster. He was disappointed at the lack of <laughs> adverse weather. <laughs> but yeah, just on Gibson Park, you'd imagine they want to set a really, really high tempo, mm. lots of quick rock speed because they saw what France did against England with quick rock speed and high ball in game time. Yeah and that will just suit Ireland more than England clearly that All Blacks team of about 15-20 years ago where Justin Marshall played regularly um, at nine they always used a box kick in the opposition half uh, early enough in the game and I'm, I'm sure there was that kind of an all black New Zealand flavour influence to Gibson Park using that box kick in so deep into the Scottish territory the last day and I'd love I think it's a it's I, I've given out about box kicks for years deep in our own territory as an exit but I love it as a weapon there if you're going to launch a ball 50 metres in the air we're, we're better to land than in the opposition 22 or opposition try line because if you you know 50-50 you know yeah. why do it in your own 22 just kick it long but I, I, I love it as an attacking weapon and I love seeing it there and I, I think he just he nabbed that from the Justin Marshall school yeah. maybe when he was growing up well it's worth mentioning France all day the last day uh, greater rugby minds than I can tell me why identified something mm. in England's defence whereby all day long Dupont little topspin kick out of hands over the top mm. and got one of the tries from Thomas it there was the a, Entomac okay. flap yes. to Thibaut Flamand who was ridiculous insanely oh, good oh yeah 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 but so they, they saw something there mm. and I, I suspect if they saw it then the Irish team saw it so you may see Gibson Park launching a few of those uh, Ireland don't get enough kudos for their defence only 56 points conceded next best is France at 86 that is outstanding uh, Brian O'Driscoll was making that point last night I guess I'm trying to not repeat ourselves overly but he talked at length about that last night and then there are a whole bunch of people who seem to think you're a mystic, mystic Meg and want to know what the score's going to be uh, so you're on a run go on what are you saying you're and you you have not been remotely smug about it in fairness to you yeah. 15 points and it I was coming away from I the said, game I, I said 15-ish well, I said 15-ish you said that you would have got away with it <laughs> I actually Joe remember getting on the tram to the airport because I decided to come home on Sunday night direct from the game because it was going to be such an intense week's work six, six day, day turnaround, turnaround. You, needed to, you needed to get rest and recovery Worth, started no right right right, right. Yeah. and I also wanted to watch the first half of Arsenal against Brighton as a turn anyway joking but I was on the tram again Jesus, he got it spot on. Fifteen no, I was disgusted. <laughs> I, was disgusted. <laughs> I must admit, I was slightly disgusted. <laughs> it's like I can't look at him. <laughs> I don't want to make a prediction. I just want to. Like, why would I make a prediction now? Go on. Um, okay, I will say we are going to win the game. Whatever he says, I'm copied. But yeah, that's <laughs> I say we're going to win twenty-eight. 
10. Final oh, that score. sounds very good. Sounds very likely. Mm. Go on. 10 to 15. I'll go with that one again. 15. Mm. Okay, fellas. Uh, we'll talk Monday. And hopefully it'll be 10 to 15. A good 10 minutes before the end so I can start writing my intro. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So we'll see you Monday. Enjoy I mean, it. uh, it's not every day there's a potential Irish Grand Slam. So for rugby loving people in the country, it's a great afternoon and story, you know. Enjoy it. Uh, thank you both. Andy Dunn. We'll see you Monday. Jerry Thorney of the Irish Times with us as well. And Rugby and Off the Ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.